episode 10, the X episode. This is awesome. I'm so excited. TFL podcast, episode 10. Uh, I have two legendary goaltenders from the mill and the NLL. Um, one of them's in the Hall of Fame and Marty's not. So I just want to introduce Marty O'Neill first, uh, a longtime goaltender, Victoria, British Columbia guy, uh, Dallas Elliott, uh, an East Vancouver guy. I mean, he lives in Portland now, but he's truly an East Vancouver guy. And for all those people that know what East <laughs> Vancouver represents, um, he was fully immersed in that culture. But let's not go there. But the point of the matter is two legendary goaltenders that played a lot of lacrosse and have a lot of stories from the mill and the and the National Lacrosse League, two old friends of mine. Uh, I'm I'm thrilled to have you guys. Thanks for coming, fellas. Thanks for uh, sitting in. Thanks for having us having me on, man. It's great to be uh, be part of your show with with my good buddy Marty. Two yeah, great goalie great. minds. It's, it's you guys, you guys a, have known each other a long time, right? So, like, you are truly. And I, I know I know this from history, but you guys played a lot against each other. Um, but I know you've been pretty close for a lot of years. Yeah, Marty, you want to answer that one first, or sure? Yeah. Well, uh, Dallas and I were in the. I'm on the island, so we were in the billeting sharing program at the age of seven, I believe. I came over and stayed with you for the yeah, weekend yeah. and played East Van versus uh, Victoria. So that's when we met, and uh, the dialogue never really stopped. That's interesting because the, when you say the billeting program, right, like a lot of Americans don't understand what that means, what a billet is. I know junior hockey does a ton of billeting and, and that whole process. And, look, I, I did it with growing up with the Gate brothers on that team and the Peppers and, and all that with Victoria. We used to go back and forth with Sanich and – and we did the same thing in, in that age level. And I know most of the of young players uh, did that. And I know Jack Crosby and, and had a lot to do with it and, and that whole process in Burnaby. And so uh, it, it's a unique structure. So we ended up doing a lot of that. We spent a lot of time with Victoria guys. I, I actually f found myself having a lot more friendships with Victoria guys than I did with Vancouver guys because I never stayed at their house, so I didn't get friendly with them. We just kicked the <laughs> shit out of each other. But the Victoria guys, you actually had to go to the – you had to go spend time and eat at the table with them, and, and you ended up being friends with guys. Yeah, I, I had some great experience. I stayed with uh, Russ Hurd for the 79 Hayak tournament, and it was Montreal Canadiens versus Boston Bruins in the Stanley Cup, and he had a hockey set in his bedroom, and we played that thing till like 2 in the morning. <laughs> Russ Hurd, who was on the show last week. Right. Yeah. Herbie. This yeah. Is, this is a big deal. I've Western guys, Western guys that understand like Western culture of our game. Because interestingly enough, when you, those Eastern guys, they all they care about are Eastern guys. You ask who should be in the Hall of Fame. Do you think they ever say a Western guy? Never. Never. <laughs> oh man, yeah. That that is yeah. so true. <laughs> who put the stick in your hand for the first time, Dallas? Uh, my dad, my dad, I played that. Uh, he got me started at the age of six in ice hockey and then thought box lacrosse would be the natural compliment. So um, I started out as a runner, believe it or not. I was a <laughs> I was a defenseman. I guess I wasn't very good at scoring Did goals. Did your goalies yell at you like you yelled at your defenders? Yeah, no, no, not at all. No, played no. defense. First they were nice guys? They were nice guys. And, yeah. Uh, I didn't. Unlike I didn't fall people. into net until the next year when I when our starting goalie got hurt, and uh, rather than cancel the game, you know, they called all the guys in the dressing room 
and the coach said, okay, who wants to play goal? Who wants to play goal? And like you see in the cartoons, everyone stepped back, and I was the only person standing forward, so they threw me in the net. That happened in ice hockey, too. <laughs> How about you, Marty? What, when did you start playing the game? Five, and just the youngest of three boys, and, uh, you know, just assimilated with my brothers. I did what they were doing, hockey and lacrosse. Isn't it fascinating? I had, I had Quint Kesnick on the show uh, a couple weeks ago, goaltender, right? And as you guys know, the stories are eerily similar for goalies, not Dallas's case, but mostly the younger brother ends up being the goalie, right? You just get thrown <laughs> in there. And that's, that's really it. You know, to get in the game with your older brothers in the backyard, you got to be useful to them. <laughs> and that's usually in goal where they can hurt you and laugh at you. And that's kind of so you both, you know, you both grew up West coast, but, but different, you know, tell me about your path to the mill. Um, like, how did you get there? Why did you get there? Cause it wasn't for us on the West coast. It wasn't exactly an easy stretch, right? The Buffalo guys and the, and the, the Eastern guys, it was easy for them to kind of drive down and play for a Baltimore or play for a Pittsburgh or Washington or whatever, even easier to play in Buffalo and Rochester and even Boston. There was a couple of guys, but for us Western guys, it was a, the pathway was a little bit different. Talk about that. Dallas. Well, okay. Well, I, uh, I followed it closely. You know, we'd have at the end of the year banquets, you know, uh, Govett when we were in Burnaby and Dave Evans was always the MC and he'd talk about this pro league. We're going to have, there's going to be a pro league. It started in the seventies. And then later on, uh, late eighties, early nineties, I remember hearing from him that he was coaching back there. So at the time I had a place in New Westminster and I got one of those big 10 foot satellite dishes had it hooked up in my house so I could watch these professional games going on. And then before you know it, there's John Wilson and, and Brian Nicola playing for Pittsburgh. So I reached out to Dave. I said, hey, you know, how can we get in it? I want to get involved. I want to get involved. So he said, was, yeah, that house on, was that the house on Strand Avenue? Yeah, yeah, a little shack. Because when I went to call you last week to get you on to the show – I pulled up your contact info on my phone and it had an address for you that was on strand. That was like, I think about 30 years old. Yeah. Yeah. That was the old address there. <laughs> it's amazing how my brand new phone has that address still sitting in there. <laughs> anyway, you, you, yeah. So you get, you end up in Philadelphia with, with Dave Evans. Yeah. Well, I, I initially I was going to go to Pittsburgh cause that's where Wilson and Nicola was. And I, I was on vacation in Hawaii at that time with a then girlfriend and the phone rings and it's Dennis way, you know, Hey, we, Johnny and Brian, they want you to come play goal. So I was le really leaning towards going to Pittsburgh. And then I got a call. Dave said, Hey, listen, we uh, got to meet for lunch. Him, him and Metke took me out to lunch and talked me into Philly. You know, I, I knew as a kid, it was a great, great hockey town. So that's if how, you had, how I ended if up. If you there. had gone to Pittsburgh, where do you end up? <laughs> if I had gone to Pittsburgh, yeah, because you, oh. you don't end up the legend of Philadelphia. Yeah, no, no, that's true. I, I, yeah, I know where Marty. You know where he ends up doing birthday parties in East Van, <laughs> dressed up as Batman. <laughs> hey, Marty, how about you? What was your pathway? Oh man, you got an hour. Um, I, I remember talking to Dallas. I made him a mask around '88. I went to that before Strand Avenue, you lived in that apartment. And I had talked to 
Dave Evans at one time. But in 1989, I went out to Baltimore for the Brogdon Cup, and I met, uh, I forgot the guy's name, but he was like good friends with the Gates, and he had something to do with uh, Mount Washington, Teal Across, and anyhow, he was he was on the staff for the Haswell the, Franklin. Yeah, yeah, well, Haswell was the <laughs> yeah. end game. Haswell was the end game. This was a guy Roddy or something like that. I forgot his name, but anyhow, so I was supposed to go out in '89. I was on my way there. I got to Arizona, had a bleeding ulcer in my car in Black Canyon, Arizona. I spent a week in the hospital <laughs> and went home. So uh, that was 1989, and then. Uh, Neil Doddridge lived with me in 1991 playing for the Payless, the billet in his rookie year. And he'd put, just come from Detroit. And then he said he was going to Boston the next year or a couple of years later. I can't remember exactly, but he said, Hey, they need a goalie. And my, my dad's brother and sister live in Boston. So I started having conversations, ended up going out to tryouts with Mike Simpson. And, um, you know, and then I just started doing it and cut, the fever so who are the characters in those rooms that you guys walked into and in, in the first kind of locker room you walked into in the mill which is a lot different than you know a canadian locker room but you guys walk into a locker room and with those two teams predominantly american players on both the teams that you ended up on just tell me about how that experience was for a goaltender and shots going at your head and all that fun stuff Oh man, that uh, that's a, a big question. Uh, you know, the Wings were coming off a championship, and uh, Dwight couldn't go back, so I was going, and uh, they expected great things from me. And I remember, man, getting in that car and driving forever. It looked like it seemed like a two-hour drive to get to the practice facility, and then we get there. You know, those indoor rinks. There wasn't even a proper locker room or dressing room. And I thought, geez, this is this is bush. And the first guy I met was uh, Mark Hahn, super guy, great guy, really nice and very welcoming. Kind of broke the ice a little bit. Then I stepped out in the field and guys were pinning corners on the run. Brad Cotts didn't have a, a pocket in his stick and on a sprint, he, he hit top cheese. And I was, Jesus, man, these guys are good. I couldn't believe just how good they were shooting on the run. I mean, playing box in Canada, you think it'd be a natural or an easier progression, but it, it wasn't, man. That year they made the nuts wider too, right? They went to four six uh, in '91, so it was a it was an adjustment. How about you, Marty? You walked into the Boston locker room. I know nobody on that team was pinging corners, but <laughs> uh, yeah, they kind of were uh, on me, anyways. But uh, <laughs> uh, there was a really a good camaraderie with that team right from the minute I got in there, like Toby Boucher and Walt Cataldo and Tom Carmine. I mean, I remiss about lots of them because it's just not coming to mind, but uh, a bunch of rookies came in with me, American guys at the same time, like Dave Donovan, Dave Robinson, Brian Vaughn, a real collection of guys. And a lot of them were from UNH. Paul Talma was already there, but they had kind of a click inside the group, but, it all flowed, man. They were really good guys. And, of course, the Italian guys with the heavy Boston accents is just like nonstop uh, comedy for me. One of the things I loved about that world in the mill was the, the very kind of parochial, provincial kind of flavor, yeah. right? It was, part, it was a Boston team because First they were First thing I thought Boston of when you guys. said this podcast was the Baltimore guys, the Philly guys, the Long Island guys, the Boston guys. That's missing from it, and I'm – 
when I'm looking at the stands in Long Island, I'm going, I think that's what they're missing. I think that's how they get to start it again if they're ever going to make it work, you know? Yeah, I tell you what. I mean, it just, that was like Dallas. We can talk about the Philly guys that, you know, it, it was a real Philly flavor. They were they were part of that community. And, and I don't know if that ever sold tickets for anybody, but I can certainly tell you that Philly and Baltimore, they all had – there was a pride playing for your city, you know. And, and previous to that, in, in earlier iterations, it wasn't pro lacrosse, but – but the club lacrosse kind of um, culture was guys were playing on New York Athletic Club and guys were playing on MAB Paints, which was a Philly club, and the Mountain Washington Tavern. And so they, when they ultimately started playing pro lacrosse, they all knew each other. We kind of got injected into situations where we didn't know these guys. We were the foreigners in, in our own game, right, the game that we grew up with. But um, they certainly had their own flavor and own culture, and it was pretty interesting to me. Yeah, and I mean, once you had to get in there and earn their respect, and once that happened, you know, we were a close-knit group, man, those mid-90 teams, for sure. Yeah, I, I never actually earned their respect, but, you know. Well, <laughs> sure you did. <laughs> Marty, you, you you guys had a, a unique team and, and had some level of success, and but playing in the Boston Garden, you know, ta- the Boston Garden was a killer place to play. Yeah, and I, this the best story. I'll tell you a great story. My wife goes to a game. Her first game goes up to Boston to watch me play. Now she's from Connecticut, so not too far away from her family. Her family meets there, and and they they come in and they all go to this game in the Boston Garden. Now, Boston Garden for those people that never have been in the bottom of the Boston Garden. First of all, when the bus goes in, it goes up a ramp that's a wooden rickety ramp that's like not very wide so when you look out the bus window you can't see what's underneath you and so it literally looks like you're rising through like thin air to get into this rickety old building and you walk to a shitty little locker room that basically is infested with rats and then you go out and play but it's literally a cathedral of the building had a great conversation last week about maple leaf gardens but boston garden was an, a mecca, Philadelphia Spectrum, meccas for the game, you know, the Flyers and the Bruins and the Celtics. And, you know, it, it was amazing to play in those buildings. But so my wife goes in there. She had been to the Boston Garden with family before, but she's, you know, kind of watching a game around a pole. There's a pole that you can't see <laughs> around the game. And there's a kid, um, there's a kid that, that was like, you know, he was chirping and he's swearing and he's, and he's, he couldn't be in more than 12 or 13 years old as she tells the story. And he turns to, turns to her and he says, she goes, do you kiss your mother with that mouth? He goes, fuck you, bitch. <laughs> it's like, whoa, 12-year-old kid right there in Boston. But that was, I mean, Marty, that was Boston Garden, right? Yeah, well, it was pretty rough. And I, I remember my first year, we were lapping Detroit. It was like 12-6 going into the fourth quarter. And then they started making a mad comeback. And they got to like 12-10, and the fans started throwing everything on the floor. And the PA guy's like, if you guys throw any more stuff on the floor, the Blazers will get a two-minute penalty. And the place started raining. <laughs> so so two-minute penalty for the Blazers. Now it's 12-all. We win 13-12 in overtime. So it was just like three times those poor guys had to clean up the turf because I think it was like battery night or something. But – 
Whatever it was, they threw it on the floor, and I don't think there was a fan who had one left in their hands by the end of the game. It was it was crazy. Well, you guys will laugh. I, I tell this story before, and Dallas knows it. I've, everybody's heard it on the podcast, but we won in, in uh, 94 in Buffalo, and people were throwing, like, quarters at us. I don't think it was quarters. I think it was pennies and dimes and nickels. And everybody was like, get off the floor, get off the floor. And I was sitting there picking up the pennies and the nickels because it didn't pay very much. So. <laughs> Dallas, how about you? You played in the Spectrum, and you had a long career in Philly, but – a special building, right? Oh man, yeah, the Spectrum. Those those old arenas were the greatest to play in. I'm sure Marty will agree with me here. Just the the way they were designed at that time. You know, the the seated area didn't need to be lit during a game. So when you stepped onto the field, it was like you were under a spotlight. So the Spectrum was. I, I love that arena. I mean, the fans too. When they were into it, man, you could feel the floor shaking there. It yeah, unfortunately, the glass didn't move, but the floor shook. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, you're I, on the Hall of Fame there, aren't you? The Wall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the Spectrum is easily my favorite arena to play in. And when they when they said they're going to tear it down, you know, it was kind of sad, sad, really. Well, one of the one of the other iconic buildings to play in was the Buffalo Auditorium, and. And, and again, another story I've told before, but you walked in and out on the concourse. On the main concourse, the players walked <laughs> from their locker room and there was all these pull apart, you know, elevator. Yeah, I've cages. got a video of it. Yeah. Well, you know, share it sometime. I'm sure I'm Dallas trying. Will put I'm trying. I got a bunch of it. YouTube page. Um, but, but at the end of the day, Dallas, I do want to talk about the YouTube page. We'll get to that in a second. But, 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 Marty, you played in the Buffalo Auditorium. Was it in the Buffalo Auditorium that you took a tumble about, oh, yeah. about, about 20, 20 feet backwards, backwards when Darius Kilgore came at you from the Chiefs? Oh. Oh. No, it was, it, was, it was the game where we won their – or beat the Bandits and ended their, their win streak for a couple of years. They hadn't lost a game. So earlier in the game, I set a pick on Tavares when he was going behind the net. And he cross-checked me in the mouth, and I bit my tongue, and I was, like, bleeding in my mouth. It was no big deal. Anyways, so late in the game, he dives into the crease. We got a three-goal lead. There's, like, less than a minute left to play. It's over. And I just reached down and bopped him with my glove in his head. You know, it's not going to hurt. He's got his helmet on. I got my soft glove on. Well, then Nicola comes at me, and he starts shoving me. And then Dare sneaks up from behind me and punches me in the head. My mask goes flying. I turn around to see who hit me, and I'm about goal line extended. And Rich has already left the bench and he's been running for 20 yards so he cool. hits me and I go flying through the air and I swear to god if I'd been further away from the boards I would have had time to have my neck pop back out again from the whiplash and I would have been paralyzed for sure you, you yeah you looked a little like a turtle when you got up because your pads were like up here <laughs> I still got a knot in the back of my shoulder it's funny because Rich Kilgore hit me with a shot in the other shoulder in the 96 man cup and it got through my pads because the pads weren't so good at that time and space of uh, lacrosse uh, evolution. So um, I've got two pains in my body from lacrosse that uh, are with me today, and they're both courtesy of Rich Kilgore. Only two. <laughs> only two. Only, only, well, other than the arthritis, yeah. <laughs> Look, yeah. I remember that play and remember watching that play, and there was a t there was a ton of – of, I mean, hoopla around that play, around the league. And, and Dallas, the video, I mean, the video's got to exist. You probably put that up. But 
he literally launched. It had to be six, seven feet in the air. Like, oh yeah, man. That I, I couldn't believe it when I, when I saw that happen back then, I remember it was, you know, the game of the week on ESPN. So we were watching it. It was, was tape play, I'm sure. But when that happened, I saw Marty hit the boards and you can hear it. So I recorded it and re- rewound it and watched it over and over again. And man, I, Oh, Mar- like Marty was right. If he had hit the boards with his head, that would have been lights out game over. But that yeah. arena was it was crazy. Like was you said, you had to walk through the stands, right, to get to your locker room. Was it – what was your favorite arena to play in on the road? Was that Buffalo, – Buffalo was mine because I loved – I loved that, that just violent, you know, atmosphere. And, <laughs> and I thrived on, you know, the, just people not liking me. I, I have no idea why that's in my DNA, but I – I love to play in this place where people were like booing you and cussing you. And I loved it. I thought it was great, but that was my favorite road arena. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I mean, I, I love Buffalo and we had some really good games there, but Boston got ripped off. We never had Philly on our schedule until my, till uh, 1996. So I was in the league three years before I got to Philly. Got we there twice that year. And that was the last year of your arena. We were in different divisions. The, well, the league had six it, yeah. teams and we had two divisions. Yeah. Literally, <laughs> I know guys right now with 13 teams in the league and we worry about, you know, you're crossing the border and you're crossing the country and you're in, you're in three divisions and, and hopefully not too far away and 16 teams and four divisions. It's going to be, you know, that'll be kind of where we uh, start to, to make our hay. But back in the day with six teams, there was three divisions and you might not play somebody in their building. It was – it was funny, but we only played eight games, right? I think people kind of lose sight of the fact that early on in the in the history of the schedule, you played, played eight, eight games. games. Yeah, that's true, man. I just <laughs> not much of a schedule there. Well, or a payday. <laughs> yeah, right. Marty, Dallas wouldn't that that incident that happened to you in Buffalo wouldn't have happened to Dallas, right? Because he literally would have axe handled pretty much anybody coming towards him because I think there's a montage that you put on your YouTube page, Dallas, of you axe, basically axe handling pretty much anybody that went behind the net. Uh, well, you know, heat of the battle, right? <laughs> Marty, you never, did you guys ever, did you guys ever square off against each other? Never, never, never. No. How about you? But, Marty, you did square off against other goaltenders, right? I fought Dave Lee in the playoffs in the WLA. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, I remember that now. What about, like, the 92-man cup? Wasn't there, like, a big issue in the 92-man cup? You weren't in that, were you? No, 95-man cup. I sat on top of Kurt Malowski and watched the brawl, but I, I just kind of like grabbed him from behind <laughs> and sat on top of him. He was about a buck twenty-five. so. <laughs> Is that Further entrenched. Well, Jake, well, Jake Elliott yelled at me from the stands for six games straight. I said, well, Jake Elliott yelled at me from the stands for six games straight. <laughs> That's right. You had a you had a feud going there with, with Dumbo. Or yeah, Dumbo. Jumbo. <laughs> 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 yeah. uh, now he's the media, you know, man of the year. Yeah, well, I helped him get a start in Minnesota. I, I thought he did a great job in the summer games, and John Arlotta loved him too. So, 
conversation turned into Jake flying into Minnesota to do a couple of games, believe it or not. So he owes you the media man of the year trophy. He owes me nothing, but yeah, it's just funny how the world comes in circles, right? We hated each other and then, you know, we got some respect. Cali BBQ is proud to be an official sponsor of your San Diego Seals. Buy our slow-smoked barbecue at any Seals home game or online anytime at www.calibbq.media. Talk about Minnesota for a second, Marty. I know you went there as a general manager early on, and, and you and I had you know, many um, a long history as GMs in the league together and kind of growing up on that. And uh, I went to Colorado, you went to Minnesota, both kind of pioneers in, in that process. But talk about that, that bought by the Minnesota Wild uh, early on, and you built helped to build that market, and and hopefully one day we'll go back. I mean, I think it's uh, I think it was a great market, and but talk about that experience. Yeah, it was a it was a great experience. Um, and you met, you left out the part that I followed you into Philadelphia, where I was for three years when you went to Washington. So we both kind of learned at the helm of Russ and Chris and Mike, and uh, that was trying for me, but at the same time it was really good because it, it kind of builds your thick skin up a little bit, having to answer to three owners. And then, <laughs> and then I got – Three owners that were into the wine every game, so they came down at halftime. <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I actually look back at my time there, and I, and I really – enjoyed it because it taught me a lot about the league, it taught me a lot about the business, and obviously myself inside all that. But the Minnesota thing was unbelievable, and you can relate for sure, Steve, is because you got this NHL operation that just hands over all this responsibility to you and trusts you with it, and then you got to sink or swim. And, uh, and not many people know, but uh, it was a bone of contention with me, but I got hired on September 15th. And so my contract was up on September 15th. So I could never get, get out of Minnesota because uh, everybody hired in June. So um, the wild were on strike. I think that's why they bought the team. And I was able to integrate their staff into lacrosse. So it really helped. I, I don't know if it would have gone as well there if we didn't have that uh, happening, land in our laps. And so, you know, the rest is history. The team was pretty successful. Uh, winning was never a priority for the organization. It was more about just having a good product and and you know trying to well, build. Pick the right man for the job. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyhow, I didn't listen to them, but I, I didn't have your budget. That's for sure. And I just about said the F word there. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, size matters, was, brother. Size matters. It was a great city. It was a great city for lacrosse, and it had a really good fan base. And uh, I don't know, you know, somebody said to me about three years in or four years in at a, at a wild board meeting just before they sold the team to, to John Arlotta that uh, lacrosse is 10 years too soon here. And I think, you know, some places could even say that today. It's like, like five years too soon or 10 years too soon. But I think if lacrosse went back into Minnesota, they got more of a lacrosse community there not, not that that matters that much but they had 14,000 fans they didn't come to every game but you know they had a fan base of 2000 showing up at games 9,000 there, there was there was actually three of us um that that ultimately went and kind of relocated to those markets one in Minnesota Bob Hamley went to Phoenix and I went to Colorado and 
and we kind of, you know, put our flags in the sand in those markets and, and, you know, dedicated ourselves to living there. And, and, and that was really the way that we thought that was, uh, you know, it was going to work in those markets. And certainly I know, you know, Bob had traction and you had traction and we had certainly had traction in Colorado and, and that continues. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in getting into the market and actually, you know, working the grassroots platforms and, and all those fun things. But I do remember a great story. You'll remember this, Marty. You know, Hammer being an Eastern guy, you know, and us being two Western guys, we, we were doing some a scouting trip together, the three of us in Toronto, and we end up, you know, we're all saving money, right? So we all stayed in one room. We checked into the room, Dallas. It had one bed. <laughs> we was checking into one room. Marty and I ended up sleeping in the bed, king-size bed together, and Bob Hamley slept on the couch. <laughs> I woke up at like 6 in the morning. Marty had gone. He's like, screw this. I'm out of here. I don't know where he went. He had to catch a flight. But yeah. uh, That was for the four-on-four four in Six Nations. I remember that. We're talking about four on four back in the day. You know, why aren't we doing it now? Anyway, I remember that now. I thought that's where that ET uh, video clip originated from. That when you guys were sharing that room. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dally. Dally, you. The padding of goaltending, and, and Marty's in the industry, but I, I just want you to talk about it because if you watch pictures, you watch your YouTube channel, and by, by the way, talk about your YouTube channel real quick. Tell everybody how to get to it because it's it's the god of goaltending, but it's it's actually really worth watching. If you're into the National Lacrosse League and you want to know something about the history of the game, go to Dallas's YouTube channel. What does what HOF stand for, Marty? Yeah, HOF Netminder 35. And, uh, <laughs> what does HOF stand for, Marty? I have no idea. <laughs> Nobody has ever spelled that out to me. All these games I have on video, VHS, they're not doing me any good sitting in the basement. So I originally started the YouTube channel just to get the games out there, you know, digitize them, throw them out there. So people that are going to games today can roll back and see the gates. What's that? <laughs> we are aware that you're violating every licensing and, and IP rule in the history of the league, right? Like, well, I'm not, I'm not getting, I'm not, being fun or getting paid for it. It's just throwing sports up there. Yeah, we can get you all help. Totally busting your chops. But, but watching your, watching those, you know, those, those old film and that old footage, you know, and you look at what the goaltenders wore back then, how were the scores not like in the twenties and the thirties? Well, that's a good question. You know, uh, back then, I mean, it was a different game. Uh, goalies were more mobile, I, I think, without question. And, and uh, if you watch any of the goalies, I remember thinking, holy cow, man, this Sal, he's a big guy, but he can move in there. Even Dietrich was flying around in and out of the net. Why we weren't up in the 30s, I don't know. Well, it's question. has more to do with the fact that the shooters were shittier. Well, I guess guys playing both ends of the floor, yeah, you're more rounded, uh, you know, Paul and Gary were playing defense. Marichek were playing defense. And, 
Yeah, but that, know, would, that, would, that would give more offensive chances up because I've watched some of those tapes and those guys were like like literally crossing guards. <laughs> <laughs> so was I, but I don't know. I wasn't any good on the offensive end or the defensive end, but they let me play. I don't understand it, but you know, I, I was there for entertainment, comedic value for everybody else, I guess. <laughs> the uh, Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I look at the goaltending and, and Marty – you're in the business, but the padding has changed so dramatically over the course of the last 20 years. Just you've had a hand in that. How, talk about that process. Yeah, you know, I try and uh, not talk about it because uh, it looks like I've got a slant towards my business and my era. And well, Dallas just plugged his YouTube channel, so you yeah, can yeah. But your, but here's the thing, and I your pads. I started making bigger equipment because um, everybody started just spreading their stuff. And then that was like in the era that guys were starting to like put boards in their thigh pads and <laughs> put electricians tape under their armpits. And, you know, there's all this Eastern flavored goalie stuff that was starting around 2000. And Hold so on. let me just interject something here. Dallas Elliott had webbing. He thought he was Spider-Man, and he had webbing between his legs. He had webbing under his arms. No, I didn't have it under my arms. I had a bull's width of webbing uh, between uh, my legs near my nutsack. <laughs> I didn't have webbing anywhere else. I made one for him. It was a Velcro one, so he could take it off. tied from the top of his pants to the end of his wrist, and every time he went like this, it would draw a straight line. He was such a cheater. I, I, every practice, I – I couldn't score on Dallas. He must have been cheating. It couldn't so you, all you listeners out there, you need to know that Govett's being sarcastic. I never had anything <laughs> out of my arms. Never. I took great pride in that, in that fact. Well, like Mar Marty's talking about early 2000s. Yeah, it got to be a joke. No, but I mean, you know, I had the, the, the luck of being Dallas's GM for three years and uh, making his equipment in that era. Like, I literally was on a league call at the comp committee where uh, we played in Toronto on a Friday night or something, and you had to go in and the goalies had to get checked, and everybody had to have the same gear. Well, Dallas's gear was a little different. It was a lot smaller. And then Monday, the league goes, okay, well, Dallas has to get the same gear as the rest of the guys because his gear is different. And Terry Sanderson lodged a complaint that it was Cosmo. Cosmo was in the room. He, he didn't like what he saw. So – went back and forth with the league, but now, next thing I'm on, on a conference call defending the fact that I'm making smaller gear for my goalie, not bigger gear, smaller gear. So uh, Dallas used to cut the sides of his pants out, so he just had the front pants, and he wore skinny little shin pads to the day he retired because he hated the big ones, and, you know, he got a bigger upper later on, but uh, he Wait was Wait a minute, he only wore the front of his pants, so it was like assless chaps? Pretty much. So Yeah, essentially. Like was that because the Coors Light girls walk behind you a lot? That that's what you were trying to. <laughs> yeah, I got a toy story, or I'll forget. Steve, you're gonna love it. One night, one night, Burnaby's playing in Victoria. You're probably playing, and Dallas is in goal. So start of the second period, and I'm leaving the dressing room late because I'm not playing. I'm hurt or something. I can't even remember. And I, I, I go to that little spot where Victoria comes out of the dressing room, and I'm screaming between the the glass panes hey big ears big ears <laughs> just riding him and he won't turn around and look and he didn't know it was me 
<laughs> oh man, yeah, you talk about summer lax. Those crowds in Victoria were the best. I didn't know who it was. I didn't know it was Marty. He gave me a complex. <laughs> to this day, I want to have my ears pinned. <laughs> but Marty was probably finding some way to get a memorial hot dog. There was. Oh, I was going around the rest of hot dogs. They were the best. And, you know, that's another story. John Yeager picked me up from the airport. The GM of the Boston Blazers picks me up from the airport to take me in my first trip to Boston. And we're not 10 minutes into the drive. He's telling me about the Nations and 80 World Cup box tournament in Victoria and Vancouver. He was on Team USA. And the first thing he tells me he remembers about Victoria is. Those people that don't Can't know, the Center's not there anymore, right? But you would walk into the arena, literally, this is so bad. You would walk into the arena, and you could hear them starting to cook the onions, oh. the hot dogs, and every guy on the team is walking over, because we'd get there maybe an hour before the game, everybody would be walking over to buy hot dogs before we played, because they were so good. Oh. Ultimately, that's why Victoria won all those games is because we were all like loaded down with <laughs> hot dogs. And, and the officiating, of course. Don't forget about the well, officiating. That. A quick break. This episode is sponsored by Manscaped.com. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming and hygiene. If you've been listening to our channel for a while, you know that we are big fans of Manscaped and their Perfect Package Essentials Kit which is the world's finest all-in-one manscaping kit that makes manscaping safe and easy. And just when you think they've got it all figured out, they take it to the next level. I'm excited to be one of the first to confirm that after 18-plus months of research and development, the new Lawnmower 3.0 Waterproof Body Trimmer has just been released and comes with a ton of new upgrades. Get 20% off plus free shipping from your Perfect Package 3.0 purchase when you use promo code SEALS20 at manscaped.com. That's code SEALS20 for 20% off at manscaped.com. Now, back to the pod. What was the greatest game you two ever played against each other? Oh, well, that would differentiate because one would have me winning and one would have him winning. <laughs> I know. Well, that's why there's two of you. So, uh, to, well, you, you know remember? what? I would, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that the greatest game I ever missed was Dallas losing in double or triple overtime to Anthony Cosmo 3-2 when Dallas was about 40. What were you, 40? How many years old at that point? 43? Yeah, and I, I wasn't there. I was in Minnesota. I missed it. The Is that Portland, Dallas? Game seven. Uh, no, the Summerlacks, uh, Adnax against the Shamrocks. Uh, but uh, I talked to this guy, he used to be a mechanic at the city of Victoria where I worked, and, and he just went on and on about how unreal Dallas was in that game. So we end up, Marty, you and I, and Bob Hamley end up going our ways to, to those. In, and Dallas ended up going to continue his playing career in Portland. And and he, I think you had a hand, Dallas, in a lot of their marketing and creating their advertising. So, so you actually featured very prominently in all of their their uh, TV ads, <laughs> right? If I remember correctly, you were like you're drinking a coffee and they're throwing papers at you on the on the porch and you're all making on the porch. saves. That yeah, was that, one of my favorite. That ads. was my brainchild. That one. It was a lot of fun. Angela did it right. You know, I uh, I can say nothing bad about my time here in Portland with, with management, uh, front office. She was fantastic. It was a lot of fun. You stayed there. You live now you, you, you put down roots and stayed in Portland. Yeah. Met my wife, uh, that year and, uh, have an 11 year old boy as a result. Yes. Cool. So, so 
Talk about Dallas, the greatest game you ever played against Marty. Oh, boy. That's, a, that's really tough. I, like Marty says, different stories, of course. So maybe, maybe the best game or, or one of the more memorable games for me was the first time playing in Boston Garden, you know, just the whole – the fanfare. Holy cow, this new arena, the fence. Like you said, they were brutal. They were brutal in Boston. I remember getting heckled and jawed behind the, behind the net. So maybe the first game ever playing in Boston Garden and beating, beating Boston that time. That was a big game for me. But yeah, you, you talk – sorry to interrupt. You talk about a story with Marty playing and, and, and stuff. I got to tell you this. It's, it's hilarious. It's, you know, we played against each other for so many years. And, and in 96, the Blazers had a really good team. I don't know if you remember that. And the only reason I remember is, you know, digitizing these old game films and you're seeing their bumping teams off. And they were they were primed to win the title that year. Was, it, was Darren Fridge, Jeff Wolfong on that team? No, Darren Fridge, Darren Fridge and Rodney Tapp and myself. Right, okay. So in 96, they're, they're poised to, to win the championship. And, and I honestly, I feel if, if they had faced Buffalo in the final, they could have beaten. They just they played a different game and they matched up very well with Buffalo. But what I haven't told too many people about this, the week of the game, you know how we used to practice just one night a week and and then, uh, maybe a Wednesday or Thursday night. It's uh, I want to say it was a Wednesday morning. There's a mailman at the door and he's delivering this huge box. It uh, was like one of those cardboard filing cabinet boxes, you know, about 18 inches high. 15 inches wide. I said, what is this? I'm looking at the label, and uh, the return label is Marty O'Neill. So it's it's something that has arrived for me from Boston. I open it up, and it's it's, just, it's a chain letter, and it's there's 300. I have to I swear around 300 pages, and I start flipping through it. I'm looking at it. It says that uh, this picture, I think, uh, the picture uh, picture for the Baltimore team died in a boat, terrible boating accident because he got this chain letter and he didn't copy it and forward it on. So I'm looking at these things. This is the week of the game, right? We, we faced them in the playoffs. I think it was a Friday or Saturday night game. I got this box of, of uh, this chain letter. And, and, he I'm knows, supposed to and he knows you're not the most, you know, superstitious guy in the world at all, does he? Yeah, no. So, you know, I, I mean, I'm wearing a sweaty turtleneck for three years. And anyway, I'm looking at this chain letter box that, I'm there's no friggin' way I'm copying all of these letters. So I just go right. I was at that that time I was staying with Chris Flynn and he had a nice big fireplace. So I just took the box, walked right into the fireplace and lit it up within within half an hour. And I said, okay, I can't let this bother me. I can't let this bother me. You know, we plan <laughs> we're playing them that weekend. And and it was funny because it gave him a bit of an edge. I thought, Jesus. Typically, yeah, I am superstitious. I was superstitious earlier on in my career, and you lose a lot of that when you get older. But uh, getting this box of chain letters, like, oh my god, that I couldn't, I couldn't one up him with that one. There's no way. I know maybe Marty can elaborate, but there was hey, Dallas. For just for just so we're on the same page, we got a lot of really young listeners on the TFL podcast that want to hear all about the '90s. What's a chain letter? <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's a letter that you get that you have to copy. It'll tell you what to do. You have to make copies or you have to you have to call your friends and pass this letter on. So there's this I get this trainer chain letter with 300 
names on it and I'm supposed to copy each letter and send it to each person. It's like a pyramid scheme with no upside. So no, it would have been physically impossible for me to do it. And even if I toyed with the idea, it would have taken me a month and a half to copy all the <laughs> all the printed matter. Oh, I, I couldn't believe the it. other side. How did? Why did you send this to him? Did you send it just to mess with him? You know what? I barely remember this. I barely remember this. <laughs> it wouldn't have mattered to an iota to me. So I, maybe that's why I did it because I sent it to Dallas. Maybe I kind of remember it, but I don't remember a box. Maybe an envelope. What player? No, I, it was a giant box. I remember I could fit my helmet in it. It was that big. It just. What player in the National Cross League would you guys want to sit next to in a locker room? Who, if you could pick anybody, you do it all over again, you pick anybody, who would you sit next to in a locker room? Me? Anybody. Yeah, well, I mean, does it have to be from our era? No. Ryan Cousins, number one. You always loved Ryan Cousins. <laughs> he's, just a, he's just every – he's the epitome of all in. He's the epitome of all in, and, and I've never seen a group of guys follow one guy in all my time in sports like the guys in Minnesota did. And I'd say he was just like a coach, just like a manager, just like uh, he's a force. So I would love to play with that guy. Well, for me, it would have to be Marty O'Neill. <laughs> I, I wish that I'd had the opportunity to, to be on the same team with him, to sit and tell stories, compare our notes back then. That was a lot of fun when – when Marty was a GM in Philly. I mean, we had lots of time to share goalie stories, but I, I would have been a lot of fun to be on the same team. You are aware he would have hated you, right? <laughs> because you would have been the starter and he would have been playing. Oh, oh no, that's almost he happened. Would have shared time for <laughs> sure. Uh, Steve, I don't know if you know how much of a love and hate affair I had with Victoria Lacrosse. Um, for starters, I didn't play junior lacrosse. I stopped playing for five years because I wasn't good enough, but – it's political and, you know, I won't get into that. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I don't think I would love lacrosse as much as I ended up loving it if I hadn't had that time in my life to do other things and kind of get that out of the way in that time frame. So, um, but in 97, after we won the Man Cup, I'd won two Man Cups in three years and been to the Man Cup three years in a row. And like I was, I was ready to leave Victoria. I almost went to Coquitlam. In 98, I was talking to Les Wingrove. It was real close, and it was just more about upsetting my personal life than anything. And so I ended up not doing it at the last minute. But it was real close, and it was just so we'd, we could play together. And obviously, I would have been the backup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're mo Mr. Well, Modest. Let me tell you, if you want to talk about fireworks, if you had been the starter and he had been the backup, that's when it would have been a lot of fireworks. Well, you know, it's funny that Dallas and I – have have talked about stuff and i mean we could go into this for hours like in in uh, i started having success with flat angles around 1990 91 and got dallas to do it in 92 or you know he decided to do it in 92 after my success and dallas had the highest save percentage in the history of canadian lacrosse that summer doing it so anything i could do he could do better but i'm only bringing that up because i'll say dallas i think i was better than you in 96 Yes, yes, you were. Yep. yep. I had a, I had a, and 95 maybe too. Except we, could, <laughs> except we couldn't beat Philadelphia, but in the NLL, we could beat everybody. We could beat Buffalo, we could beat Rochester. I mean, we would, 
we were pounding Rochester, and then we, of course, choked in the playoff game because they made us sit for three weeks and wait. But Well, Dallas, was- Dallas knows this, and I don't want to make this a love fest because that's not what this show's all about. But <laughs> I just want to tell you, I don't have three rings in the National Lacrosse League if it's not for that guy right there. So yeah. um, we, were, we were a good team, but, uh, you know, if you watch any of the stuff that he posts on, on YouTube, you realize just how bad our defense was. <laughs> Maybe it's only because on his YouTube channel or on the, on the Twitter or Instagram stuff that he puts out there, he never, like, he never has a goal scored on him. And I think he posted something about a week ago that said, for all you people that want to see what it looks like when I get scored on. But it literally, he watched – he. He threw up like three – I know you did it on purpose too. He threw up three videos in a row of me getting roasted on defense. And, in <laughs> fact, he threw up three videos. There was one video of John Tavares doing a hidden ball trick. And I, I can't live that down. JT comes on the show and he starts laughing at me because he burned me on the hidden ball trick. No, we were we were a good team together, Steve. That was not malicious in any sense. No. <laughs> We yeah. we won a lot together. We had a lot of fun, and and uh, Dallas and I go way back through a long, long, long history, history in, uh, in junior lacrosse and Burby, and and uh, so I, I played in front of Dallas. Looked at my butt for a lot, lot of years. So <laughs> another quick break. Coronado Brewing Company is proud to be the official craft beer partner of the Seals. Enjoy fan favorite Orange Avenue Wit and their new Salty Crew Blonde Ale all season long and visit coronadobrewing.com to find their award-winning beers near you. Stay coastal. Cheers. Hey, look, I I just want to finish a couple things. One question. If you could put somebody in the Hall of Fame right now, the National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame that's not there, um, who would you nominate? Dallas? Probably Marty O'Neill. Wow. Yeah, yeah. This is really these answers are really good. I'm just gonna keep asking questions. You can just keep saying Marty O'Neill. <laughs> yeah. No, How about you, Marty? No, who, who would you I, put I, in there? Have a serious camaraderie because you know birds of a feather stick together and, and uh you know, a lot of people don't understand goaltending, so we bounce stuff off each other all through our playing days. Uh, and we didn't really have that competition until we hit the floor, but you know, a lot of that's out of your, out of your control. I'm on Boston. He's on Philadelphia. I'm in Victoria. He's on Coquitlam. Sometimes I got a better team. Some team, sometimes he's got a better team. So I don't, we, we never thought about it that way, but, um, I prefer to think I of him as a goalie in Burnaby, not Coquitlam, but whatever. Yeah. I played yeah. with John Tavares and, and he was the best in so many ways. I mean, I played with Gary and Paul and they were unbelievable. And, I'll never forget how many bruises Paul Gate had on his body at the end of the Man Cup one year. It was just gross. And how he could take that kind of beating and, and, and the mindset that Gates had when guys were like, I remember watching a mill game before I even played in the mill. And Gary's running down the floor and two guys tackle him from behind like a football tackle. And he doesn't, doesn't even get mad. You know, like, no, they just knew it was their mad. job. They just knew it was their job to – to do it. And, you know, Tavares had a bit of a streak in him where he'd get guys back if guys dirtied him and stuff. I never saw Paul and Gary ever get mad at a guy really ever that I can remember. So, so who would you put in the hall of fame? Yeah. Well, I'm just talking about the great guys. I would probably, uh, I'm trying to think of a Boston guy. I mean, Carmine got all the goals. Um, Charlie Blanchard was a special player. He was really underestimated and, 
and slick as they come. And Randy just, Frazier, you know, his name has got to come up in a discussion at some point. He certainly longevity and, and was, was one of those guys that was Carmine for sure. But, but uh, Charlie Blanchard is one of the most underrated players. And if you go back and watch those Boston games that are on, on the, those uh, Bud Light, whatever, he's always picking corners and, and scoring big goals and doing unreal things for our team. All right, well, a little rapid fire here. I'm going to throw names at you, and I, want, I just want your quick reaction, uh, one word, two words, you know, quick sentence about these guys. Uh, talk about Dan Stroop. Swoop, the Stroop, far side, dive. Yeah, spin and shoot, spin and shoot, keep rolling. <laughs> the Stroop-a-loop. Stroop-a-loop. <laughs> Great Richie team Kilgore. guy, super guy. Richie Kilgore. Great two-way player. Yeah, I couldn't check his hat, but, man, he had a great outside shot. So he was a great two-way player, but he couldn't check his hat. He was a great uh, one-way player. I didn't play behind him. I didn't play behind him, so I don't know. But the, only guy who screened me, heads up. the only guy who screened me more than Rich Kilgore was Fred Jenner. <laughs> Freddie Jenner joins the episode 11 of the TFL podcast. He'll be on our next show with his brother, Teddy. Teddy nice. and Freddie on, on uh, the TFL podcast. Uh, okay, uh, Paul Denikin. Sweet. Wow. He was sweet. Marty, you go first. Yeah, you know, another underrated guy. He, he was he – was, McAvoy and him were really good down low. Like, they knew their stuff. They were as good as any Canadians. And then I had Denikin as a coach in Philadelphia. He's just like a 100% stand-up guy. I just love the guy. He was great. He, he is a great guy. He's one of those shooters, again, he didn't hold the ball. It was in his stick and out in the top corner in no time. He scored some huge goals for us, for sure. He, he would be one of those guys that you considered a Canadian-style player. Yeah, yeah um, he could the, take it, too. He could take that beating And he there. gave it out. And he had a mean streak. The brawl in 94 against Detroit where the bench is emptied, basically Paul Denikin and Tommy Marichek started it. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, how about the Gate brothers? I know you guys both played with them, and, and just one word. Unstoppable. That's a yeah, good one. Consistent. Consistent. The best word for any sports player. They just they showed up and did the same thing all the time, and it was, you know, you just knew it was going to be a, a long night for the other team most times. How about Jimmy Beltman? The rubber man. You, no one could lay a hit on him. He was one of the smartest players, I think, to ever play the game, too. Yeah, he, he just he's just one of those forces. Again, like Tim and Tavares, I always think about Buffalo and him and Tavares, him and Tavares, him and Tavares. Funny story, Steve. Can I interject there? Yeah, about, sure. About old Jimmy, yeah. We, uh, we went into the Hall of Fame in the NLL together. and uh, In Colorado. Yes, yes. You were there, of course. Uh, real known fact, way back when, when the Wings, our first trip to Buffalo, this was in Buffalo, was just steamrolling everyone. And uh, the Wings, we didn't have our superstars yet. Tucker was our big guy. So we go into Buffalo, and they're handing us our asses. It was like 18 to 9 or something like that. And Geary throws Veltman a buddy pass, and he's running down, and we're losing the game, and I see him running under the ball, so I'm going to. I'm going to roll this guy. So I come out of my neck. I charge at him as hard as I can. 
He sees me coming, of course, last second, sidesteps me, but I had my stick <laughs> ready. I swung my stick at him as hard as I could, and I bent the shaft of my stick over on his shoulder. So he's 10 feet in front of me. He has a wide open net. He's got the ball and the stick, and there's a wide open net. He's looking at the net, looking at me, looking at the net, looks at me. Then he fires a ball at my head. It doesn't even try scoring. Then, then I jump him, and I, we get into a wrestling match. The benches are up. They had to bring in the riot police to break it up. And you talk about running, walking through the mezzanine there to get to the locker rooms. It was sheer mayhem. And But that, that incident brought our team together. We ended up playing him in the championship that year and, and almost – Almost beat him. Kilgore knocked me out of the first half with a concussion. But uh, from that moment on, the team was a lot tighter. And, and you know, it was one of those things that needed to happen. So <laughs> I, I do want to point out that there is a current National Lacrosse League rule. And Marty and I spent a lot of time in the, uh, in, in the competition committee together. But there is a National Lacrosse League rule now that's not named the Dallas Elliott rule. But it's certainly close because you're not, your goalies aren't allowed to leave their crease like that and come out and hit players that are running for, you know, defenseless players like in the in football. Um, so, but you did it once a game? Me? No, no, no. Come on. No, I, you know, I, I, left an, I left the crease and laid a few people out, but I think Marty, Marty did a better job at, at taping <laughs> people than me, man. He – he did something that not too many people were able to do, and I think he broke the ice. Is that he uh, he ended up? Are you guys there? I lost you for yep. a second. He ended up getting Tavares in Buffalo, which is un that's unheard of. What a hit! center field too. I talked to Johnny Tavares to JT about this uh, on the podcast a few episodes ago when uh, Gabby Rowe came out of the penalty box and hit him, oh. and probably one of the most textbook hits you're ever going to see put a shoulder into his chest and he just buckled him. Um, and you know, that, that I still, I still pull that hit up every once in a while and show staff members that have never seen, you know, a, a hit like that because it was just unbelievable. It was. I remember hey, so uh, moving on, how about uh, Jake Berge? Talk about Jake Berge for a second. Uh, He's one, like, one the best, yeah, one of the best, if not the best American player, I think. That guy deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. That's yeah, my guy. If, if I had to pick a guy that is not in the Hall of Fame today from early on in the National Cross League, he would be the guy. Sure, man. He, he, was, he was big and had wheels and great hands right out of the gate. I mean, I'm sure you remember that, Steve, in 98. You know, the ownership had us written off and – the emergence of, of, of Bergy, it was huge right off the stop. I, I wish he'd played up in Canada for a summer or two, too. I do remember that was his first year in 98, and it was my last. And one of the – you may or may not remember this at a practice one time, Dallas, and, and we were getting ready for his first game. And I was on the short man, and he was on the crease and in practice, and so the ball would go around the other side, and I would just beat the piss out of him off ball and just slash him and slash him and slash him. <laughs> you know, because you, you like to intimidate the young guys and the rookies and can't, you know, and, and I beat the tar out of him 
and he turned around and when the ball went the other way and I wasn't looking, he just like slashed me two hander right across the head. And I was like, I like this kid. <laughs> he he didn't take it. He gave it right back to me. And from then on, I, I look, I have a son named Jake Govett. And he, uh, Jake Thomas Govett, who do you think he's named after? You know, Jake Berge and Tom Marichek. So uh, he was born in that era. And, and uh, uh, Jake, Gov my wife doesn't believe that's why he's called that. But you know, <laughs> anyway, um, a lot of respect for Jake Berge. He was a beast. Teddy Dowling. Oh, man, he's slick. Great finisher around the crease. He's deadly. He's someone that I you don't want to try and face one-on-one -on -one in tight. In and out of his stick again. Super quick. Yeah, and, Marty knows and, uh, him better than I do. He's, I'm sure he has some great stories. I lived with him three different times and played with him on two different teams. And, uh, and he's a great guy off the floor, like really interesting friend to have. He's uh, diverse in his thinking about life. And we really hit it off because we both like kind of alternative music and English sort of based music from the 80s and 90s. So we really like worked that into our relationship. But he was really the, the guy who could make something happen out of nothing, kind of like Ryan Banesh, but even better, I think, because he's a little better on his feet and a little better with his reach. But, you know, he's the guy who's going to be in the Hall of Fame soon, I'm sure, or he just put in the Canadian, so U.S. isn't far behind. But just a deadly shooter. He was a guy I hated playing against if he was hot because if he'd get one of me, he'd get five of me, you know, and it was rare that I had his number. He played – he played for the Colorado Mammoth for a year with Gary Gate, and, and there was some level of friction between the two of them, you know, creative friction, if you will. And uh, and he, he used to say to Gary all the time, he goes, shooter's got to shoot, man. Shooter's got to shoot. <laughs> never seen so, a shot he doesn't like. It's funny. Never uh, seen a uh, shot he didn't like, but uh, he wasn't afraid. He had a short memory, too. He, if he didn't like the one, the last one, he was going to go do it again. So... <laughs> You gotta love that in offensive guys, guys with short memories. Just don't for, forget about the last one. What's next? Hey, so I usually close the show with with uh, this question. I, I want to ask you guys: um, thirty for thirty ESPN show, telling sports documentaries and telling great stories and great narratives about uh, a lot of things in sports. But I want to narrow the focus to our game. And if you could tell a story in the in the National Lacrosse League or the history of the game, what, you, what would your story be, Marty? Well, I think, I think, you know, one of the things that – it doesn't bother me, but it bothers me. I mean, it's not financial. But, you know, there's a players' union, but it doesn't recognize players of our era and before us that really started the league. And with that note, I would say, you know, like even though I work for Russ, there's a lot of stories and there's a lot of information there about how this thing got going that's relevant to probably another generation past us in the future. And so that's the guy I'd like to sit down with and really like go to town on a bunch of stuff that was going on in 1985 and 87 and 88 when they really got this thing up and running and, and more about the discovery of how all of a sudden it was working and they were getting fans and they were getting contracts like Bud Light and Michelob and, and U.S. Air and the things that they were able to create in that era, you know, that we're desperate trying to do 25 years later. So I think that's a big thing. I should have Russ and Chris on the TFL podcast. You should. They uh, obviously, 
my favorite Russ Klein line, and you've heard this a few times, Mark, just because I was born in a car doesn't make me a garage. <laughs> I never knew what the <laughs> hell that meant, but it, <laughs> just because you were born in a car doesn't make you a garage. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Anyway, <laughs> Dallas, how about you? What story would you tell? Uh, that's a tough question. Maybe the transition from the old M-I-L-L, what happened to the M-I-L-L and why it couldn't exist, why it didn't hold its ground and how it became the N-L-L. Just that behind the stories, uh, behind the story, how did that happen? I mean, I know how it happened, but it's kind of interesting because so many people followers of the M-I-L-L, big fans back then, they figured, all right, we're going to become the N-L-L and go big time. Well, instead of going up, it took like three, four steps backwards. Yeah, you know, so that, that would make an interesting story. We had great sponsorship and everything, and then we just kind of went backwards. Uh, I mean, the Players Association was absolutely necessary to, to help the players out and everything, but in a way, you know, the game now is – it's far more tame than what it used to be. It used to be, it used to be, you know, welcome to the jungle. It was a war out there, right? Well, there is this thing called liability that everybody has to worry <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, I know. I keep hearing that. <laughs> it's crazy, Dal. I, yeah, I mean, come on. But I do think, uh, I mean, look, we had Gary and Paul on uh, a few early on in, in one of the early episodes, and it was really intriguing and interesting to hear Paul talk about that. Go back and listen to, uh, I want to say that's episode three, I think. Go back and listen to Paul Gate tell that story for those of you that are out there. He tells it in pretty good detail and it was really interesting. And I agree with you. It's uh, There was a lot of intrigue in that process in the summer of 1997 uh, where we, we were all involved. And, and the summer of 1997 was kind of pivotal in where this league went from from one level to another level and ultimately now uh you know 30 something years later uh 35 years later but the start of that in 97 was uh was something very intriguing i'm certain i know it's, it's uh i thought i was going to live in boston for a long time if not the rest of my life and then the fall of 97, we found out that oh. <laughs> so I got to go to Syracuse to the worst season of my entire life. But uh, yeah, well, Syracuse wasn't so bad. I learned a lot there. I learned I learned a lot about managing by being on that team. So, fellas, it's been uh, it's been a pleasure. I'm uh, love talking to you guys every time I get a chance to chat with you guys about the game. Um, it, it's always fun. Um, intri you know, interesting, and, and we get to chat about a lot of things. But uh, thank you for joining me today, Dallas. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm excited about uh, about you know the the uh, God of goaltending YouTube HOF goaltending 35. It's a fun it's fun trip down memory lane for those people that haven't seen it. Keep doing what you're doing, Marty. I know you're working in the pad industry and you're you're protecting a lot of goaltenders in Canada right now in box lacrosse and. And as the game grows in the U.S., I know you're doing the same thing there. But uh, keep protecting those uh, young players. And, and uh, Dallas, keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, fellas, for being on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.